We all had crushes in high school that we probably regret when we really reflect on them as adults. And let's be honest, some of us may have actually dated those crushes, which is even more regrettable. Yikes. The same thing can be true of our crushes in books. You may have thought that a romantic interest in a book you read as a tween or teen was super dreamy. And if you haven't revisited that book, they're probably locked in your brain that way. But here's the thing. If you were to revisit it, it's entirely possible that you would find your book crush totally not crushworthy. I hate to break it to you, but that's kind of the journey we're going to take you on in this episode. Please don't hate me. Episode 110 is all about Sarah Dessen's 2002 YA novel, This Lullaby. The questionable heartthrob is Dexter, who shows up the summer before main character Remy leaves for college and turns her entire plan upside down. We get into all the details in this episode. My guest and I chat about cynical teens who don't believe in love and the messages we took in as kids about the so-called romantic notion of a dude gradually wearing his love interest down, even if the love interest seems absolutely not interested in them early on. Is this problematic? We discuss. We talk about why Dexter feels compelled to, quote, figure out Remy and to explain to her who she is. And we dive deep into the brief mentions of Remy's sexual assault and the icky feelings we got about how all of that was handled. With that said, I'll note a trigger warning for this episode. I realize this all sounds pretty serious and maybe even a little negative, but I promise that my guests and I actually had a lot of fun recording this episode. This is kind of my favorite type of conversation to have on the pod. My guest today is Sarah Kokia, who has quickly become one of my Bookstagram besties over the last few months. Sarah is a lifelong reader who can also be found on Bookstagram as Bookish and Black, where she loves to engage with her fellow readers on her current and upcoming reads. Sarah recently graduated with her master's in social work and is working on health policy research focusing on maternal health, substance use disorder, and health IT. She's even able to put that social work expertise to good use in this episode. Sarah is passionate about health equity and providing mental health care support. She is originally from Côte d'Ivoire but grew up in Maryland. When not reading or working, she can be found going for hikes and long walks around the city or trying out new recipes. Thank you, Sarah, for being a guest on SSR. I can't wait to keep talking books with you on Instagram and beyond. If you want to book talk with me on Instagram, be sure you're following me at SSRPod. SSR is also on Twitter at SSRPod, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. There's a smaller group for SSR fans on Facebook too, which you can find by searching The SSR Podcast Community. If you like reading along with the show, you should definitely join that group, since I preview the books I'll be talking about on the podcast weeks in advance there. It's a lot of fun. Other things that are fun? Sharing about SSR on social media. If you love what you're hearing, please, please take a screenshot of the episode wherever you're listening and post it to your Instagram story, tagging SSRPod so I can see what you have to say. You could also add a note about what you're doing while you listen. Five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes are another great way to help me spread the word about the podcast, so big shout out to everyone who has left SSR one of those. If you haven't left one yet, would you consider it? It only takes a few seconds, and it really does help the podcast grow. You can also help the podcast grow by becoming a Patreon sponsor. Patrons contribute a few dollars every month to the show in exchange for exclusive rewards. You can be a patron for as little as a dollar per month, and there are different rewards at every sponsorship level. Think newsletters, bonus episodes, SSR swag, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page for more details. If you want to rock SSR swag without becoming a patron, check out www.ssrpodcast.com ssrpodcast.com slash shop for bookmarks, stickers, tote bags, and shirts. I'd like to take a moment to say a big thank you to every listener who has come on board as a patron or purchased podcast merch. 
you really are helping this independent podcast thrive. My favorite thing about Libro FM is that it gives all of us a chance to help independent booksellers thrive. Libro FM is a platform that allows you to support independent bookstores with the purchase of the same audiobooks that you can get from other bigger companies. I'm not going to name names, but you know who I'm talking about. The audiobooks are the same price too. You can support any indie you want as long as they're partnered with Libro FM. So choose a local favorite or send some love to a store far away. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. I'm so grateful to the wonderful team at Libro.fm for continuing to partner with SSR. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to SSR. Hi, Allie. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We've become Bookstagram friends over the last couple of weeks, I'd say, and I feel like you're one of my book and book talk soulmates. Like, I just feel like we tend to see things in books the same way, and we've had a lot of really interesting conversations kind of like not book-specific, just about like reading and representation in books, and I've just really enjoyed talking with you, and the fact that now we get to spend a full hour talking about a book for the show, it's just such a treat. I totally agree. I feel like I was so lucky to discover you and discover your podcast. So I feel like I've been lucky to have you as a double friend, like when we talk and then when I listen to your podcast, I'm like, oh wait, we're having a conversation that I'm not really part of. So it's really exciting to actually be a guest and be here. Well, you're probably tired of hearing my voice in your ear all the time because it is a very specific kind of voice. So now at least we get to be in conversation. No, I am really excited and I love to talk about books, obviously. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Obviously, I'm going to plug your bookstagram at the top of the show because it's so great. Everybody, if you're not following Sarah, go over to Bookish and Black and see all the awesome things she's doing and reading and talking about. Okay, that's the first plug, and I'm sure I'll plug you again. But let's talk about this book. So we are discussing Sarah Dessen's This Lullaby, which was published in 2002. And I'm going to kick it over to you because you picked this book, although it has been much requested by the SSR community. But I just, I hadn't found the right person to do it with. And you brought it to my attention as a book that meant something to you. So tell me all about why. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, so you said 2002, I was 13. So prime audience for this book. And it quickly became my absolute favorite book. I even have it signed by Sarah Dessen. Cool. I know. No, I, I don't think that's cool anymore, but I, it was <laughs> it was the height of coolness when I was in high school. And I just, it was my favorite book. I don't know. I loved all of her books, but for some reason, and we'll talk, we'll get into it. I don't really know why anymore, 
But for some reason at the time, I really related to this book and I really loved it. And so looking at the idea of your podcast, revisiting old books, um, I was like, let me see now that I'm 31. What do I think about this book that I loved so much when I was 13, 14, 15? Well, it's weird to me that I did not read this book when I was a teen. So I don't think I was like as on top of the Sarah Dessen like movement. I don't know if I was a little, I I don't know how it missed me because I feel like I read everything. So I would have been 12 when this book came out Mm -hmm. and I read a handful of her books, but when I was older, weirdly, like I think I actually learned about her for the first time when the movie How to Deal came out with Mandy Mm -hmm. Moore. And it was mostly just because I was really into Mandy Moore and I was really excited to see the movie, but I don't think I knew that it was a book before I went to see it. So then I naturally had to read the book. And then I think I realized like, oh, Sarah Dustin has all these other novels. So I also read The Truth About Forever. And I remember reading that Mm -hmm. one a couple of times, which is weird. I don't really know why. Because I don't think I like loved it. It just was there. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I'm not really doing a great description of my experience with Sarah Dustin, but this is the truth. This is what actually happened with me and Sarah. I knew that this book was one of her more popular ones. I'd heard people talk about it a lot. One of my younger sisters loved this book. She's a musician and she read it multiple times and she still Mm -hmm. says like, I remember how this book spoke to my young musician soul, which I understand, but I was like very excited to read this book. I felt like it would be sort of a breath of fresh air in these very dark times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I I don't know that I can say that that was the case. I would say that the style was sort of refreshing and that it did bring me right back to being a teen and like these really fun female friendships and the like new feelings of potentially being in love and the excitement of going off to college. And it also just was like a quick read, which I enjoyed right now. But as you alluded to, like there are some things about it that were not at all what I was expecting. And I'm excited to talk to you about them. Yeah, yeah, there was... A lot. It's weird to know. I read it more than once because I, I loved it. So it's weird to kind of know what's going to happen in a book, but not remember how you feel about it or what. Like I knew all the major plot points, but I couldn't remember the exact way things happened. And then just reading it, I, the, when I when I read it right now, it gave me such different feelings. So I'm excited to talk about how you know re- you relate to things differently when you read them in a different place in your life. That's the name of the game around here. Yeah. It's a pretty fascinating exercise. So top line plot stuff. We meet Remy. She's 18. She's just graduated from high school. We aren't given the exact information about where they live, but I think that most of Sarah Dustin's books take place in the South. Like I want to say maybe the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and there are some references to Dexter, who is the the primary love interest, kind of like doing these road trips to Virginia. And so I think maybe the idea is that they're somewhere in the southeast. So that's my guess. And again, I would imagine that it's set in like the early aughts around when the book came out. Remy um, is cynical. And I want to talk more about that shortly. But that's sort of like, I would say the quick way to describe her. And she's very proud of being cynical, especially about love. Her mother has been married now five times as we're meeting her. She's preparing for her fifth wedding and Remy has taken responsibility for planning the wedding because she takes responsibility for like everything in the household. Her mom is a romance writer, which I thought was a fun detail and just kind of is like in her own little world. Remy has these three really tight girlfriends who she spends a lot of time with. And though we didn't get like too much into any one of them. I really liked their dynamic and like that kind of was a fun nostalgic twist. And of course, 
because it's a Sarah Dessen book and Sarah Dessen loves to write about teen love, there's a romance. And that's kind of the crux of the book, especially because Remy is set up as this, like, I don't believe in love kind of character. We couldn't have her think that she could survive this book without maybe being tempted to love. And Dexter is the love interest. She meets him at the car dealership that her soon-to-be stepdad, Don, owns. And Dexter is right off the bat like, we have a connection. Like, I know we have a connection. And wants to explore it. And we sort of spend most of the book, like, in Remy's head as she's going through this push-pull of, like, do I want to continue to be cynical or do I want to believe in love? And, of course, there are all these other things around her that are influencing those ups and downs. And, yeah, we have about 400 pages of that. Do you think that captures the general spirit of the book? I think so, yeah. Okay. What were your first impressions as you were getting back into it? (laughs) I think... It took me just a couple pages to be like, I'm really annoyed, which like, you know, as I said, I used to love this book. So I was really surprised by that. But, you know, I sent you a message pretty much right off the bat and said, hey, I'm afraid that this is going to be a pretty negative review for our conversation. So I think that right off the bat, I was struck by how, you know, like you said, cynical she was, how she just she's doing all these things for her mom, but she seems to be so bitter and upset and annoyed by everybody and everything just from the first couple pages. So that really struck me. And I'm sure we'll get more into this, but I didn't like Dexter's pushiness from the get-go. I don't like the trope of asking people out 10 times. So no, from the get-go. <laughs> me neither. So when Sarah sent me that message, my first reaction was like, great because you all know that I love when we get to talk about a book in a not so glowing way reasonably of course like I'm not just going to bash a book for no reason but it's I think it's fun to have sort of an intelligent conversation about why a book doesn't hold up that's really why I started the podcast and honestly it's a lot more fun and like intellectually stimulating to have that kind of a conversation than it is to be like this book was great and I love it just as much as I did when I was 12 and at that point I think I was about 75 pages into the book and I was already having some of those feelings so I I also felt better knowing that it wasn't going to be this dynamic where like you came onto the show and you were like, this book is as great as I remember. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. So I was very happy to get that message. Let's start by talking about Remy's cynicism because um, I think that my problem with it, if you want to say that I have a problem with it, is that I feel like it plays into this thing that happens a lot in teen-driven media and pop culture where there's just this idea that like, There's this inherent value as a teenager and like declaring who you are and having no sense of open-mindedness to change. And I've seen it in a lot of movies. I've seen it in a lot of TV shows. I think that this like cynical thing shows up quite a bit. Nothing is like coming to me right now in terms of like specific movies, but like you all know what I'm talking about. Like you've all seen that movie or that show where you have a 15, 16, 17 year old, probably girl character who is like, I just don't believe in love. Like I I would never fall in love. Love is stupid. Like love is fake. And look, all of those feelings are valid for some. And obviously like we all have our own experiences that can inform those opinions and those feelings, but there's something about it, it becoming like your identity and that being like who you are. And that's sort of how I felt about Remy. Like I felt like when I finished the book, I didn't know much about her other than the fact that like she decided that she was never going to be in love. And there were things that I wanted to know about her. Like we're sort of given tidbits of other significant pieces of information about things that she's experienced 
that are not explored any further. And that was what was interesting to me. And I think if I'd understood those elements, and we can talk about those more too, I at least would have understood why she was so cynical, but we didn't get any of that. All we got were these like consistent declarations of hers where it was like, my mom ruined love for me. And I, I was just sort of over it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, when you were talking, something that came to mind was she's all that. Yes. Even though it's like a different, it's the nerd, but like, you know, artsy person that you have to change, but there's the whole idea of, I don't believe in love and I need a man to change me, to change that for me. But I totally agree with you. I think that without the explanation, which I don't know if you want to go into it now or later, but it was just, we kind of get this shell without any filling of who she is. You know, she's cynical. She is, you know, upset with her mom. Like you said, we get, we know that, we know that these things happen. Can I just say it? Go for it. We know that she was raped at a party, but all that it kind of comes from it, from the way it's told of us is now she's cynical. Now she's decided to be a self-proclaimed slut, which I have a whole problem with slut shaming in this book is yeah. just so problematic we need like another uh, three hours honestly yeah. as even i'm like oh <laughs> there's a lot to talk about for, like right there but there's no explanation of growth from that from learning it's just that this thing happened to her we don't there's no exploration about how it affected her just now she's because of that and what's you know what's been going on with her mom with the marriages she has become cynical, which is kind of hard to take and hard to see as, like you said, that's not a personality type. Right. That's not, that's not, that can't be a personality. And I, I'll say that right. I, I think that a lot of this would have resonated with me when I was a teenager. I was pretty cynical about relationships. I think part of it was, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I was very uncomfortable with relationships. I didn't have my first kiss until I was like 16. I was just kind of afraid of like going to that level of intimacy with anyone and not even just physically, like emotionally too. I was just very shy about the whole thing. So I think my cynicism was a little bit of a defense mechanism when I was a teenager that I was just like, I'm too busy. Like I don't have time. And also, and I I won't get into this because they're not my stories to tell, but I would say like growing up, there were a lot of relationships in my life that like just I observed and that weren't necessarily successful or that were painful, that caused harm to the people that I loved. And so I'm sure that I internalized some of that just the way Remy did. And so I think if I really take myself back to when I was 16, 17, or 18, if I read this book, I probably would have connected to that part of Remy. And so that's why I say, like, those feelings can be valid. And we've all gone through experiences that, of course, like, inform the way that we approach or don't approach relationships of all kinds. I just think that there was a lack of like roundedness about Remy's character. And it made me sad for her because I did feel like there was more below the surface and I just wanted Sarah Dessen to give it to us. And also this is like, this is a long fucking book. Like it's really long. It's, um, is it 400 pages? Sorry for the, yeah, it's like Um, 350 pages. It's like a thick little paperback. And so like, I think Remy deserved that. And I I actually, I wrote down a lot of quotes, um, but one of the quotes that I pulled out that I just think sort of tells you everything you need to know about Remy is that at one point she says to Dexter, you don't want to get involved with me. You really don't. We've all seen that on TV. We've all seen it in a movie. It's just this hard shell. And I do want to talk a bit more about 
the very brief mention we get of Remy's sexual assault because to your point, Sarah, yes, the only thing that we really get out of that is she's like decided to just sort of own the fact that she's a quote unquote slut. Like she's just going to talk about it and sort of add that to her identity as a cynic. Like she doesn't do love, but she does hook up with as many guys as possible. But the other thing that happens is that she, in addition to starting to like own this promiscuity as she describes it, she also, in other ways, decides that she needs to like turn her life around and become a quote-unquote nice girl. There's a lot about that in this book. Like, nice girls do this. Nice girls don't do that. And I think there's a lot missing from this whole plot point. I mean, A, she needed to get support. And my impression was that her friends didn't even know what had happened. Like, they were so yeah. jokey about her love of being with guys like they were the ones really doing the slut shaming and I'll say that's the thing that I really didn't like about her friends as much as I liked other aspects of of those relationships I thought that they really were taking all of that very lightly and it made it very clear to me that like they had no idea that Remy had been Mm -hmm. raped it was her first time it was her first time having sex it was her first time being drunk it just feels like it was a really traumatic incident and the fact that we have no indication that she was able to get help for it makes me really sad and also really angry that in 2002 and and now still like there's so little conversation about how important it is to get support after an assault Mm -hmm. that this was how it was presented to young readers so that's the first thing that should have happened the second thing that should have happened is that like she shouldn't have taken on this like moral responsibility for what happened like it's very clear to me in the way that this is written that like she thinks it was her fault that she was raped like there's no conversation about like no, this guy was just a terrible person. It was like, no, like I was there, I was drinking. Like, I wish I hadn't screwed up my first time. Like that shouldn't have happened. And also I think that there should have been like just a different line of character development with her. It just didn't make sense to me that like, I couldn't draw a straight line from like, she experienced this terrible assault and then that just sort of like solidified her cynicism about love. I just, I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Not that there's any singular way to handle a trauma, but I just felt like it needed a little bit more nuance. Yeah. I think she also doesn't do a very good job plot wise. Like now rereading it, I'm seeing all these plot holes of drawing that straight line that you're talking about. For example, you know, this is like a small thing, but she talks about the assault happening when she was 15. But then she also talks about when she started high school, teachers being like, oh, there's Remy. We know that she should like, you know, she's probably not going to go to college. We're going to put her in all easy classes because she's just a party girl, blah, blah. So it's like, you know, that connection of like, what was the chicken or the egg conversation? And I'm going to try not to go all social worky here with my degree. And, Please go you know. <laughs> social worky. Please. I, I No, seriously, like feel free to bring your expertise. Yeah. But I think that that was one of my biggest issues, especially reading it now with that lens. And like you said, seeing the way that she internalized that message, that it was, that it's her fault, that now she has to be, and because there's nothing wrong with sleeping around if it's your decision to sleep with people. But like at that young age, having the message that if something happens to you, it's your fault. And the only thing that you can do is to then allow people to have your body, I guess, is the way that it's the message I don't I have a hard time even understanding the message that Sarah Dessen wants to take take us to take from it because I don't even know if she knows if there was a real message because it just seems like it's a dangerous thing I'm to be telling teenage girls I'm really happy that it all went over my head at the time because I think that 
reading that as a 15-year-old or younger is a really dangerous message to be told that if something happens to you. There's no mention, like you said, there's no mention of help. The only time therapy is mentioned in the book is when she gets therapy for her, for one of her parents or one of her mother's divorces and it's, she talks down on it. And so there's no mention of support. There's, like you said, I don't think her friends know. And I think that the fact that even if there was no assault, just having, I don't think it's okay for your friends to be talking to you about, like about your relationships in that way. So I think that all of that is a dangerous message to be giving to young girls. I echo all of that. And I also think the message that like Remy should have to take on all the emotional labor that seems to have come with revamping her life and like changing who she was. That's a lot for anybody to take on. It's a lot for an adult to take on. Like, you know, we see sometimes on social media, like grown women, grown men being like, I'm going to like make a change. Like even little things like going on weight loss journeys or being sober, like these major transformations that are hard for adults to take on. This is an 18 year old, but she was 15 actually when the whole thing happened for her to take it on again, to, as you said, internalize all of this and to be like, okay, now I have to take on all of this work of being somebody different for something that was, it couldn't have been further from her fault. She was the victim of it. It's really, it's really confusing even for me to think about as an adult. Right. And it's, I always hold women writers to a higher standard, especially when we're talking about things like rape and sexual assault. So it makes me even more upset to be like this, to see somebody writing as a woman and writing for, cause you know, her books are geared towards young girls. So to be, to, it makes me disappointed to be like, this is what you are okay with young girls reading and the message that you want them to get. Cause you know, there's one thing between having this, if there was, like you said, there's no further development. So it'd be one thing if this happened to Remy, she was internalizing it. And then we saw that she was able to get help, understand that it wasn't her fault, but none of that happens. There's no, there's no, you know, moment where she's able to be like this, this, this wasn't my fault. This terrible thing happened to me. This was all somebody who's a terrible person who did this to me. It's just, oh, I started dating this guy. So I'm a nicer person. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really insufficient. I would say like, if you're going to introduce this plot point to a book like you really I feel have to see it through and I think if we're to give Sarah Dessen the benefit of the doubt which I don't always like to do for authors but I think like all that I could say is that maybe in 2002 and I I don't agree with this but maybe in 2002 her editors didn't want it explored any further and it was about like let's introduce it I'll say it was maybe like two paragraphs like we get very little mention very little description I think if you were a younger reader you could actually maybe even misunderstand and miss Sure. What happened, which maybe was the intention of like, let's make this sort of quote unquote safe for young readers of all ages. But I just think that like it was explicit enough that it needed to be better developed. And and the best sort of counterexample I can think of is the book Speak, which we covered on the podcast. Such a good book. Such a good book. <laughs> and I'll link to that episode. And it's not like a direct comparison because Speak is really all about how the main character processes the trauma she's experienced after being raped. And this book, it feels weird, but it's sort of like just one of many plot points. Like there's a lot of things being juggled in this book. So it's not a direct comparison, but I would just remind listeners that in Speak, 
Melinda has moments where she thinks maybe the rape was her fault and then she has moments where she's angry and sad and she experiences the full range of emotions whereas like I just don't think that Remy experiences much complexity and again this isn't to say that there's any right or wrong way to process a trauma obviously but I do think maybe there is a right or wrong way to like portray the way that a character processes a trauma so that readers can sort of have a little bit more of a guidebook for if something like this happens to them or happens to their friend. Like, it just makes me sad to think that readers would assume that this is sort of how you're supposed to deal with this kind of a situation. It's not up to you to, like, change your life so that this doesn't happen to you again. Like, it's up to you to go tell somebody what happened and so that that person can be punished, that you don't have to go through this again. Right. I totally like you making the distinction, the distinction between the portrayal, the like, it's the onus on you to make the portrayal better, you know, because even the idea of her, you know, dating a lot of people, sleeping with a lot of people after the assault, she, um, I've read a lot of articles and statements about how women saying that after they experienced rape, they did become more promiscuous because it's, it kind of feels like you're taking your body back and you can decide what you can do with your body. But that's not the message that she's giving us here. It doesn't feel like that is the she's not portraying it like that. She's not giving us that idea. She's just and it, she we we know that that's not her intention here because she's she calls Remy a slut. Sarah Dessen does several times. So there's no like strength in the action if you are slut shaming your main character, which that's, I guess, maybe a separate issue is I don't, it doesn't seem like you like your main character very much. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it, it's a very confusing for me the way she treats Remy, the way she, the way Remy treats other people, the way all of that happens, the way she writes her. Yeah, I just think this piece of Remy's history was like begging for more nuance. I think that if we had a little bit more development, a little bit more nuance there, it would have made it easier for me to understand this like very hard edge that Remy has. And I think Mm -hmm. the fact that you and I have now been talking about something that really isn't even in the book for 15, 20 minutes indicates that we needed more. Like we have spent Mm -hmm. way more time talking about something that wasn't even in the book than like I, it took me maybe three minutes to read through the paragraphs not right. to be generous. It was like two pages. <laughs> right. It was so quick. So we needed more on that. Let's shift our attention to Dexter because I think we both have a lot of feelings about him. Mm-hmm. I- I'll say off the bat that I can see how young readers would be totally charmed by him. I can see how I, I love right, him. I would have loved teen. him as a teen. And I was reading through a bunch of blog reviews before we started talking. A lot of them are written by young readers. And they're all like, oh my god, Dexter, like, I love him so much. And I, I get it. Like, I think that Dexter is an example of a character who does not age well, particularly for people like you and I. And I don't, I don't want to assume, but I think that I, I've, <laughs> I think if, if we are sort of reading the same kinds of things and engaging in the same kinds of conversations, our eyes have maybe both been opened to certain types of tropes that are counterproductive, especially yes. for the way that young boys and men are socialized. So that's kind of how I felt. Like that was the lens through which I, I couldn't help but view Dexter in this book. And maybe I'm being a little cryptic, but I sort of want to kick it over to you and have you share, maybe fill in the blanks and what I'm talking about. Um, and again, I don't want to make any assumptions about where you're coming from with this, but that would be maybe my guess about our shared opinions about this guy. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so... 
background picture. I was really into small band indie scene when I was a teenager. I maybe now still, but do you know the band OK Go? Oh yeah, loved OK Go. I really got a Dexter vibe from their main singer. That's like who I pictured in my mind. Okay. So I think that's also why I loved Dexter at the time. But like I said, from their first intro, the way he just jumps in then is like, I believe this, and then grabs her hand and writes his name on her hand, even though she says no. And there are certain things that whether or not I agree with everything about Remy, there there are a lot of times in the book that I felt like I definitely took her side, especially when I came to interactions with Dexter. I think I said this at the top. I really do not like the idea of men having to wear women down in order for you to date them. And this is something that she does twice with Dexter and with, I think it's John Miller, the one who wants to date Scarlett. Oh, yeah. This is something that she does twice in the book, the idea that oh, I, I asked her out six times. She said no, and now she's fi- she finally said she'll go out with me. Or in Remy's case, she got really drunk and I was there. Yeah. So I think that that is also, like you said, more a message that boys should not be getting that you need in all situations. You know, we talk about respecting no in sexual situations a lot, like, you know, when you're in bed. But I think that it's just as important to talk about respecting that men need to respect men and boys needs to respect no if you ask a girl out she said no that to me that's 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 the game you know so I think that was like one of my biggest issues with Dexter I think that another thing that really bothered me about him is the idea that Remy is too rigid and type a and he just needs to loosen her up with his fun loving self um I think the scene where she gives him a ride and he has french fries and she has a strict no food rule in her car and he you know takes it out and drops it on purpose to be like see you're fine you can learn to chill to me that is i'm a bit type a so same excuse me but (laughs) whether i think that that has nothing to do with your personality that it's just an instance of you are in somebody's personal property and you need to respect their space that's not something that you need to change about the person. Like, you know, she was kind enough to give you a ride, like just sit there and accept your ride. So I think that those are the two biggest things about Dexter that I just felt like you're like, that made up his personality. And also just like the cutesy, like he loves to do challenges. He's a silly, like it just, what a goof, what a goof. goof. That seemed to be the substance of his personality, the music loving goof. Yeah. I mean, there were just, there are so many like cliches, tropes, whatever you want to call them happening here. So sort of in thick of when the Me Too movement was really kicking up, I, as so many people were, I was doing a lot of reading and one of the things, and I don't remember where I read it, but something that really stuck with me, it was a piece somewhere about the way that young boys in particular are socialized. And one of the things that the author brought up was this pattern that we see in books, movies, TV shows of, as you're describing, this like chase and this sort of like 
valiant chase that boys, teenagers, young men can embark on to prove their love to a girl that they are into that might not be so into them or is explicitly not into them. And we see it like it's written literally in black and white in this book. Remy is talking to one of Dexter's bandmates and he says to her, you're officially a challenge. He'll never give up now. I'm like, no, just just no, that's not a thing. That's not how it should work. And it has worked that way in a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows and a lot of books. I, I could go on and on, I'm sure, with a list of like all of the movies whose happy ending is like purely derived from the fact that for X number of minutes of the movie, there was this chase that was unsuccessful. And then we get to the end of the movie and like the female lead probably realizes that she was wrong the whole time and should have given the guy a chance from the beginning. And like, that's not, that shouldn't be the default in these love stories. And yes, I think it it sort of instills an unhealthy behavior in young boys, but I, I also think that it, is unhealthy for young girls because I internalized it as as a kid. Like I definitely saw some romance in being pursued by someone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like if you are open to that pursuit, if you have expressed like maybe a lukewarm interest or mm-hmm. disinterest in that person, sure, fine. Like they can shoot their shot. But I also think that like There's nothing romantic and there shouldn't be anything romantic about somebody who you clearly don't like trying to make you like them. And it's this twisted thing that like all of us were raised on. And we see it in this book where like Remy is supposed to be like, I think Sarah Dessen wants us to think that like Remy was wrong for not giving Dexter a chance because he didn't meet her expectations. And look, we can all be wrong. We can all make misjudgments. But like based on the way that these two characters are set up from the beginning, Remy shouldn't have had to give him a chance. Like she was, she was very clearly not into him. Yeah. And I, and to your point, she doesn't even seem to like him that much once they start dating. No. She calls, I was reading right before we started talking, I was reading when they start dating, when she's like listing the reasons why he's still wrong for her. And she's calling him a slob, saying how messy he is, like all of these things that are, you should not be saying about somebody that you're in a romantic relationship with. So it's really interesting to me about how she gave up on the chase, but it doesn't seem like she's even portrayed as being happy that she did that. And so I think that to your point, while you were, while you were talking about the chase, I think that the problem also is that it socializes men and women to, if you don't give into the chase, you're told that you friend zone somebody. And so, whereas you were very clear from the beginning and then somebody pursued you and you didn't want to, and it's like, oh, well, bro, she's friend zoning you which I think is like it's so it's a double-edged sword of either way you slice it you're doing something wrong well and that you're just like wrong or boring or like stuck Mm -hmm. up or stuffy if you're not interested in somebody and because Dexter is positioned as this like fun wacky guy Remy of course like looks terrible the way that Sarah Dessen positions her and we actually had this conversation on a recent Gossip Girl episode that I recorded and we were talking about Blair and how and I'm not Team Blair, everybody knows, but Blair is so uptight and so type A, and it really bothered me in the second book in the series that I felt like so much of the plot was about the other characters trying to, like, quote-unquote, loosen her up, 
Mm-hmm. And I think we see it in male and female characters in sort of like the most popular books and movies. So I don't want to say that it's it's totally gendered, but I do find that it's really upsetting to me when like there's this sort of like inherent value in especially a girl like being fun and free. Like this yeah. is who Blair is. This is who Remy is. Like they both have reasons. I think focusing on this lullaby, Remy's seriousness and her responsibility and her attention to detail, a lot of it was a survival mechanism, I think, in her family. Like, it really doesn't even have anything to do with the trauma that she experienced. It's very clear that, like, her home life was really unstable. And so she had to be serious and type A and responsible and organized. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been able to be successful. She probably, like, I don't even know where she would have been. Like, she had to be that way. Just like Blair and Gossip Girl has reasons for being the way that she is. And also, people are just, like, born with certain personalities. And, like, it's nobody's job to loosen someone up to, like, make them more fun. I mean, I'm, I'm, like, pretty serious. I, I don't know if, I probably, like, don't seem that way on the podcast. But, like, I'm much more of a Blair. I'm much more of a Remy in real life. And when people try to loosen me up, it, it like pisses me off because it feels super disrespectful to who I am as a person. Yeah, I totally agree. And same, I think that I come off as funny and loose, but I'm, we can ask my husband anything but. So our husband <laughs> should talk maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, like don't joke um, with me if I don't want to be joked at or with ex- or exactly. about, not into it. Exactly. And then to the point of even if Dexter does want to, you know, chase chase her and wants to date her then shouldn't she want her for who she is what is this need to change her if you saw her and you knew you were destined why do you feel like you have to loosen her up and she's not I guess good enough the way she is so it's kind of like a mixed message to me and I think that maybe that's also something that I'm seeing now as an adult that I know after having been in relationships that you shouldn't be in it from the start trying to change people But that's not like, I don't think that that was apparent to me when I read this, you know, all those years ago. Well, it was like he saw getting her. I mean, that's a gross phrase, but like he saw getting her as a challenge and then he saw changing her as a challenge. And it's like, that's like a lot of work. Why don't you just like go date somebody who wants to date you and is already really well suited for you? Right, exactly. It's, it seems like they were ill matched. And then the only thing this is jumping ahead. the only thing that it seems like is gonna that keeps them together is this idea that he chased her and this idea that she loosened up and changed and realized that she loves him and so that's enough I think like you said about the other issue uh, there's no substance to it I don't see any substance to why these two should be together yeah I mean again it's a lot of pages and I I really can't think of like, I, I feel like there were a lot of sort of like tangential plot lines brought in. Like, I didn't understand why we needed to know about all of the other bandmates' romantic mm-hmm. exploits, whatever. Like, I I didn't right. need to know about any of that. What I wanted to know was like why things were continuing to develop between Dexter and Remy. I actually kind of remember doing a double take. Like, it felt like all of a sudden they were hanging out and dating. And I Mm -hmm. didn't really understand, like, how that had happened. Like, we went from that conversation where she seems to, like, want to give him a chance to, like, oh, now we've been hanging out for a couple of weeks. Right. I was like, "Mm, I don't, I just, like, don't really see that happening. And maybe this is just being an adult and and understanding that that's not generally how relationships work. But I would have gladly traded 
some of the other storylines, like even the storyline with her older brother, the banana challenge or like 85 different potato songs. I mean, that was funny. That was funny. But like the, yeah, I, the lizards, what was up with her brother's lizards? And then the weird, like metaphor with like the lizards snuggling. I just did not need it. I didn't, I didn't Sarah. It was so dumb. I, I, I had a it. real response, but now I'm, I, I, again, these are things that I really, I totally agreed. Like this time I almost, if it wasn't for the fact that I was rereading this for an, a conversation, I would have probably skipped through a lot of those scenes. I'm like, why am I reading all of a sudden, you know, 10 pages about Dexter challenging one of his bandmates to eat bananas or why are they, you know, in a closet watch? And it's supposed to be a metaphor, like you said, but why are there like three separate scenes where she's watching a lizard hatchling? I'm not a writer, so I don't want to be critical of the process, but it did seem a little bit like lazy writing and not wanting to develop certain things because, you know, she switches from month to month. And every time that happens, we're just in a brand new spot, you yeah. know, and things have things have jumped ahead two weeks and you don't know how you got to where this is, you know, from when they get together, all of a sudden, like you said, we're two weeks ahead to when they have that breakup. All of a sudden, it's been a couple weeks and they've decided to be friends to at the end, they get back together. And all of a sudden, she's been in college for months. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. But that's true. It's like every time we get a new month, because the whole idea in terms of like their chronology is that Remy generally has this like three month rule where she just like doesn't stay with guys longer than three months. And this is now the summer before she goes to college. And so she went into the summer thinking like it was timed perfectly because she really didn't want to date anybody. But if she did, she sort of had like a built in excuse to end things after the three month point, which like actually I kind of liked as a device and was something Mm -hmm. that I could relate to. I sort of was dating a guy the summer before we went to college and it was like perfect because we had this like really fun like summer fling. To be honest, I tried to like keep it going a little bit longer than I should have. (laughs) I will say now that like I wanted it to be a fling from the beginning, but that's not really what happened. Um, And I I liked that, but I think you make a good point that like every time we turn the page from like June to July to August and then to November, it's like, oh no, we get to like reset Remy's headspace and we get to reset like her expectations and everything at the same time. I hate to continue to shit on Dexter, but I have one more thing to say. I have one more thing. Please go ahead. Sorry, everyone. I know that I've destroyed one of your childhood literary heartthrobs, but this, this all, it's all real. Sorry, but it's true. The other thing that I didn't like about Dexter was I felt like he was doing this really annoying thing that again, I feel like we've seen over and over again in pop culture where like, he feels like it's his job to figure her out. Mm. And he feels like he's going to be the one to like, sort of figure out who she is. And and he's going to be the one to prove to her that like, she's not who she says she is. And he's going to, like, see something in her that nobody else has ever seen before, which is just dumb. And it takes away her agency to, like, own who she is. It also takes away, Mm -hmm. like, the responsibility of every other person she's ever met, including the people who have, like, lived with her and parented her, been friends Mm -hmm. with her, to understand her. Like, we don't need you, Dexter, to come in and figure her out. This one quote I pulled out where they're talking about like what they both like about their relationship. Dexter says, what I liked was that it was a challenge to get past that, to wriggle through. Most people are easy to figure out, but a girl like you, Remy, has layers. What you see is so far from what you get. You may come across hard, but down deep, you're a big softie. And like, I'm reading this book about her and she's just not. 
And that's okay. Right. That's okay. She doesn't have to be. You know, I did find her hard to read at times, but, like, it's okay that she's not a softie. Like, she is hard because she's gone through shit. And, like, Dexter, I don't need you to come here and figure out that she's somebody different. And then later on, when they're trying to kind of get closure after they break up, he says something to her like, if we had been dating five more days, you would have loved me. Oh, my God. And, like, no. You don't get to determine that. Like, stop putting words in her mouth. I felt very defensive of her in those moments. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've been, like, sighing so deeply because as you read that, I'm like, oh, my God. It's bad. so annoying and terrible. Yeah. Um, And I think to your point with the whole coming in and figuring it out and that, like, I love what you said about how it takes away her agency because it is up to her to tell you, like, oh, I feel like we have a connection that I've never had with anybody else. Like, you understand me on this level. You don't come in and tell me, hey, I understand you on this level that nobody could possibly. Like, how do you, you do not determine that for me. So I think that that is something that, like, I hadn't even put words to that, but you're you're so right. That's something that really is, for lack of a better word, unfortunate about his character. I hate that the word challenge keeps coming up. What I like about you is that you were a challenge. But now, what about now that you've got me? Like, what about, like, like hypothetically saying that now that you do understand me and now that we are together, I'm not a challenge anymore. Right. Just be normal. Like, just, just, like, just be, be, just be cool. Literally be cool. Hate to echo on this again, but let's, she's not a challenge. She just didn't want to date you. Right. And well, and she actively, <laughs> she's like arguing with him and, you know, he says like, you're nice. And she's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, oh, but you are. She's like, right. no, I'm not. Like, no, you no. it just makes me so frustrated. To, yeah. To think that you know me better in two months than I know myself. First of all, no, my, even if we've been married for 50 years, I don't know how you can know somebody better than they know. You're not in their head, you know? So how can you claim, you can, you could say that you know me better than some, you know, if, if it's been 20 years, you could claim to know me better than somebody else, but it's been two months and you're trying to claim to know me better than I know myself. And I think that just circles back to dangerous messages that you're giving to young. I'm like, I think that especially having worked with high schoolers, I'm really aware and I worry a lot about the messages that teens get. And I don't, I hate the message that, you know, you want a boy to know you better than you know yourself. You want him to come in and just know everything about you and tell you that he you know, worked so hard to get you. And and because that's, that's, I feel like that's what people hear sometimes, you know, I worked so hard to get you a night, and, but it's, it's BS. Yeah. Like, please no. Like, please let me continue to surprise you and like fuck right. with your head until the right. day we die. Like, I don't want, I, that's, that's, that allows me to sort of like be the master of my own self. And that's how it should right. work. Like I am in charge of me. And I let you in because I love you and we have a respectful relationship. But, like, it's yeah. not up to you to, like, figure me out and then to tell me who I am. That's just not cool. It's weird because it seems like she's writing the perfect, really immature 21-year-old yeah. or 22-year-old guy that's, like, really immature and questionable. But I don't think that that's her intention. So that's what worries me. Yeah. And the only other thing that I'll say about the relationship before I just stop is that I think it's it's important to mention that there's um, a clear point made about the fact that Remy hasn't slept with him. And her friends are like, oh, this, this must mean that it's different. Like, we know that you love him because you guys haven't had sex. And, like, everybody else, all the other people that you've had slept 
that you've had sex with because again they're slut shaming her you didn't love them but like you obviously love Dexter because you haven't and I think that's just important to note as we like sort through the messages about love and sex and relationships that this book just dishes out because there's just there's not like a one-to-one formula for like if you love somebody, you do have sex with them. Or if you love someone, you don't have sex with them. Like there's such a range and such a spectrum of like the way that your sexual relationship with a person can keep up or not keep up with your emotional relationship with them. And this Mm -hmm. was just like, so it just, it just felt very binary. And like, I just would hate for young readers to think like, it just, and it also felt sort of like counterproductive. Like even if you are trying to encourage teenagers to like be safer with sex or to be more conservative about sex which I don't necessarily think is the right way either like wouldn't you want it to be like oh you love this person so that should be the moment you have sex with them it just it just felt very a lot of it just felt very confusing like all of the messages about relationships just felt like kind of mixed up for me I'm not getting the message that you should wait when I read it I'm getting the message that you can be as promiscuous as you want with you know whoever you want but I guess if you love them don't Right. And I don't think that's what Sarah Dessen believes because I feel I I just don't. I don't. I'm not going to make judgments about her. I don't think that that's what she believes. But that's sort of how the book reads to me. Right. Right. Oh, no. And I like, yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know. I, that's that right. would involve knowing a lot of things about what we've been talking about. Yeah. But I but definitely I think that even more than what matters, what she meant is what what matters, what we are getting from it. And what I'm getting from it is, like you said, the idea of did you sleep with him and like the whole the speech. Those were the two things that Remy always does. And I think, yeah, it's a very dangerous message to be because it seems counterproductive if your intention is one way. But it also seems that really the message should just be completely different or there should not be a message about do this if if this do this when then. You know, like you said, it's there's no formula for when you feel something for when you decide to be sexually intimate with somebody. So I think that it's weird that and also I also don't like that it was kind of it was Dexter that was always pushing her away. Right. Because I, I think there's also I'm looking for hidden messages in everything that she's doing. There's also things to take from that. Yeah. Well, and also and I haven't even thought about this, but like She's 18. Is she 18 yet? Yeah, she's, I think she's 18 and he's an adult. And so I'm not going to say that I, I know it's a whole other thing. Like, I'm not going to say that I would like feel any better about these messages if she were younger. But like, I mean, I I would to the extent that like she's, she would still be a child. Like this isn't a, this is a literal adult. And so I just think that makes the conversation and the narrative about sex in this book that much more complicated. I think. That is a whole other thing that I do. I want. I that is something that I do want to touch on. The fact that they are children, because I, I I don't know if they've all turned eighteen yet. Because you know, when you're a senior, you're seventeen, eighteen. So like, assuming that even assuming that they're all eighteen, they are children. <laughs> yes, they <laughs> behave that way for sure. They are. I think the thing that struck me the most when I was rereading this is that I felt like I was reading a book written about girls that were graduating from college and not from high school. Because, you know, they seem to have little to no parental supervision. They, you know, meet at the spot and are just chugging alcohol. They go clubbing. There seems to be a really hot underage club scene wherever this book takes place. Wherever it takes place. Because I know when I was the summer before college, I was not hitting up those clubs. Mm -hmm. And I know that my parents would not have let me 
be hanging out at a house with a bunch of guys in their mid twenties who were in town for the summer with their band. Like it just, it just really, I was struck by the fact that I felt like I was reading a book about 22 year olds and not 18 year olds. Like they were graduating from college and not high school. And I think that's also another, I think that even at 13 or 14 graduating from high school seems so far away when I first read this. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really strike me as weird. But now that I've done it, <laughs> you're like, this is not See, what it looked like. This, this is not what this is. That's certainly not what my summer after high school looked like. No, me neither. One thing I wanted to touch on before we start to wrap up, because it's something that you and I have talked about on Instagram, mm-hmm. is just the lack of diversity in this book. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like none. There's no representation of anybody who's not white, straight. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like Jess, one of one of her friends, seems to maybe have some financial challenges. So there's like maybe a little bit of diversity in terms of like socioeconomic status. But other than that, like there's there's none. And I know that, that was something that you and I had talked about. There's just so little representation. Yeah, I think it's funny because at the time I wasn't as struck by it as I am now. And I think that also is a testament to where I grew up, you know, before we started recording, we we're talking about I grew up in a very white suburb in Maryland. And the book is really representative of what I saw around me, which is unfortunate. And I think that unfortunately, Sarah Gesson's books were par for the course for what I was finding on the shelves. You know, it's not like I also, like we were talking about Gossip Girl earlier and Sweet Valley High. I know you've done episodes on, and it's not like there's a bunch of diversity in those books. So I think that it's, I'm struck by it now, but it's, I'm so sad to say that I wasn't when I was a teenager. And I think that that is just because of what I was used to seeing. It didn't, it didn't occur to me when I was 14 that there should be, which I think is a really problematic message to give to, you know, a teen, a black teen, you know, that, that I shouldn't even expect to see myself represented in books. So I think that was definitely the way I, I didn't even see a problem with it when I was younger, which is really, I think really problematic. And now I'm like, what is this nonsense? But now I'm 31 and now I've, I've, you know, been through a whole host of things and I've, I, I know things I didn't when I was a teenager, but yeah, that's, that's definitely what I, what it was like back then. Well, thank you for sharing that experience with me. I think I know what your answer to this question is going to be, but I'm going to make you just really clarify it for us. And you know it's coming. The big Uh question. Did coming back to Sarah Destin's This Lullaby as an adult, did it hold up for you compared to your experience (laughs) reading that as a kid? Or has it let you down in some way? I really have no idea what you're going to (laughs) say. This this book was fabulous. Five stars. 12 Um, out of 10. (laughs) It did not hold up, but I think I was thinking about this earlier, obviously, if anybody listened up until now, you know that it didn't hold up for me, but I think that that's okay. I don't think it would be normal if I loved everything that I loved when I was a teenager and if I was absolutely thinking the same about things that I was 15 or more years ago. I think that I'm happy that I chose to read it for this podcast because I definitely would have recommended this for like a future daughter of mine or my niece. I have a bunch of nieces. I would have been like, this was, you know, my favorite book when I was a teenager. And now I know that I don't want to do that. Yeah, I think it's important to know. And I, as much as um, I know it's disappointing when we come back to these books and they let us down, I also always like to remind people that it's also like, 
it's healthy to have a conversation and about this and to realize that like you have progressed emotionally and intellectually and that like to some extent at least like the world around us has also made progress so that we're we have different ideas about things so as disappointing as it is like I, I like to think that that's the flip side so thank you so much for breaking all of this down with me it was about as fun if not more fun than I thought it would be uh thank you for having me I had a great time taking apart my old favorite book well and there's going to be a movie on netflix is what i discovered today i i know which is so funny because i read i read about that about a month ago and i excitedly texted a, a friend of mine from high school being like guess what but now i can be like never mind i will say yep. that as i was reading i like couldn't i couldn't believe that it hadn't been made into a movie already like the yeah. fact that How to Deal was made into a movie and this wasn't, like, it's just begging for an adaptation. And I am excited to see what Netflix does with it. I'll probably watch it, and I might try to get you to come back on and do a bonus episode with me. We'll I, see if I can convince you. I would. I was about to say I will definitely watch it because I feel like it also would be interesting to see if they change some of the things that we thought were problematic. Yeah, I agree. With a 2020 lens. So, yeah, I would love to talk about that. Maybe. You never know. So, other than this lullaby, what have you been reading lately Mm -hmm. and hopefully enjoying more that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, I finished the fifth season, which is the first book in the Broken Earth trilogy. Um, It's amazing. I see why it won all those awards. Um, The author built an amazing world. And I binged beach read this week and I think I saw that you were reading it too I'm almost Uh, done yeah I'm hoping to finish it like today or tomorrow um it was ironic because I I went into it being like I don't think I'm gonna like this and I read it in one sitting so I thought it was really cute and sweet yeah I I would like to see a movie of that too it is lovely if anybody's Mm -hmm. looking for something that's just kind of like well, it's, it's like perfect summer reading. That's what yeah, I can say about it. Well, definitely. I will include links to your recommendations as well as a link to this lullaby in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to, I'm going to plug it again, Sarah's bookstagram, Bookish and Black. It's been so fun talking to you and I really appreciate your time. It's been great talking to you too. Thanks so much, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Thank you. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. 